This is Scott Richmond and Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie, good morning. Today we have some special programming. As many of our listeners know, uh, John Engen, long-term mayor of Missoula, died on August 15th. And we were lucky enough over the past uh, six years or so to have him on our show many times as a guest. And we're going to use the next couple of weeks to share with our listeners again the comments, thoughts, and uh, life of uh, John Engen. Scott, it's always good to uh, catch up with you on Sunday morning and... uh and see how things have been going. And this week we're going to be talking with uh, the, the mayor of uh, Missoula, John Angan, who's been a frequent guest. And we're going to uh, hopefully ask him the questions that our listeners uh, want to hear answers to. One of the things that, that I, I want to point out that some people don't know. And by the way, he's running, wait, wait, just to be clear, yeah, he's sure. running for a fifth term, a pre- unprecedented fifth term. Right. And, and we're also going to have on his opponent, Jacob Elder, on next week's show. Yes, we're going to have both of them. We'll have asked them similar questions to find out where they stand on the important issues that face the city, affordable housing and homelessness and, uh, you know, the local economy and taxes and growth and, you know, the COVID impact and crime and, and you know, all the, all the things that people care about. But one of the things that, that sometimes we, we lose in this discussion is that many of the cities in, in Montana and in other parts of the country, the mayor is more ceremonial. Right. Position. This mayor is the chief executive officer of the city full time. Even in Bozeman, we right. have a, we have more of a ceremonial part time, uh, you know, mayor who has a full time business career outside of being mayor of the city. So I just wanted uh, our listeners to know that uh, that we can ask him tough and detailed kinds of questions because he is the CEO of the, of, uh, the company that we call Missoula, Montana. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, and he's. I got to be honest with you. I think, you know, running for a fifth term, um, there are a lot of questions. Why a fifth term? What, do you still have the fire to, to do it? And I think those sure. are there's a lot of the questions we should talk to him about because he's very clear headed. Um, he has a mission um, and clearly he doesn't feel he's achieved what he's yeah. set to do. So to it's do. funny, political um uh, people that run for political office and football coaches, 20 years seems to be long enough. If I, if I told you I was CEO of a, a business here in Montana for 20 years, they'd say, great. You know, <laughs> you're an experienced, savvy senior guy. Right. If I said I was mayor for 16 years and I'm running for another four. Say, well, maybe it's time to move on. You know, I just don't see it that way. We have to, we have to assess whether the job that needs to be done is being done. Absolutely. When we yeah. come back, our guests will be mayoral candidate John Angan. Back after this. Okay, Arnie, we are back with our guest, uh, mayoral candidate, Mayor John Angie. John, Mayor, as I like to call you. <laughs> it's good to see you. It's good to have you back on the show. And you're in candidate mode, so we're going to be in candidate mode, if that's all right. Fair enough. I will I will take all comers in whatever form they uh, choose. So you've been the mayor since 2006, longest tenured mayor in the city's history. What do you consider, looking back, your, your major successes, and, and what continues to be your greatest challenges? Uh, I think if I were to if I were to name uh, if I were to name one thing, um, 
uh, as a success and it, and it, it was a collaborative effort. I think the acquisition of, uh, Mountain Water Company, um, from Carlisle and later from, uh, Liberty Utilities, um, is, uh, about the greatest, uh, public service that I could have done for, uh, our community today and for future generations. Um, and why is that? Tell me, tell me, tell me what the, what the logic behind that is, because there are some people that are still critical of the city running a water company. Yeah. So, it, it, I mean, it is, it is, as you know, um, it is, it, it, it was a saga, um, and the acquisition was a saga. Um, but, but I tell you, um, you, you don't have to, you don't have to look very far, uh, to see, uh, harbingers of the future of, water as a, a resource and as a commodity um, in the United States and around the world. And having, uh, having the, the literal lifeblood of a community in, form, in the form of water um, uh, controlled by uh, faraway investors um, makes absolutely no sense and I think is dangerous. Uh, and so acquiring that system um, Improving that system and, and securing that system for generations to come uh, is uh, something that the city of Missoula will not uh, will not need to. Uh, we, we're not going to have to worry about our water future, and uh, and we were the only city of size in the state of Montana that did not own and operate its own water system. Um, uh, monopolies are uh, terrible. Regulated monopolies aren't that much better. Um, and this is a system that now is in control of the public, and that's as it should be. And so, what, so what's your greatest challenge looking back over the sixteen years? Oh, uh, there, there are there are many, and they are ongoing. Um, you know, housing, homelessness, mental illness, addiction, uh, poverty, uh, uh, human suffering. Um, uh there um all of all of those um all of those are are tremendously uh difficult issues um to solve for um and more and more over the course of the last 16 years uh municipalities uh, cities and towns and counties, local governments have been put in the position of um, filling gaps that have been left by by uh, federal government and and state government, um, both of which have uh, have have uh, sort of abdicated their responsibilities in many ways. So local government is is figuring out ways to pick up the pieces. I had a conversation earlier today. Um, one of the one of the questions was uh, was uh, uh, that the critics have have uh, suggested that I'm guilty of overreach um, and and doing more than a mayor ought to do. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that um, in terms of public safety, health, and welfare. Uh, uh, local governments have more and more responsibility and, um, and have had to, have had to adapt to figure out new ways of doing business. Um, I, I never wanted to be in the, in the business of, um, 
of uh, uh, solving for mental health crises, but we are in that business today. Um, do, you, do you think? Do you think that you know we had a pandemic? You throw a pandemic in there, right? And two questions is one is was our were we prepared as best we could be for something that we didn't know what we didn't even know what was coming? So do you feel that there was great preparedness? And second question is how do you feel we we've we've fared? You know, twenty months in. Yeah, so you know, the benefit of hindsight, I, I will, I will tell you that um, that the that uh, among the significant challenges of this work is that um, is that you never know what you're going to deal with. The the surprises are what get you, um, and there are lots of surprises. Uh, pandemic, a surprise. Nature of pandemic, um, a surprise. The, the the preparedness of uh, the nation as a whole, um, well, frankly, the world, um, to deal with this, we 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 were not prepared. Um, however, we um, we have we have plans in place, we have protocols, we have leadership, we have structures that allowed us, um, despite not being prepared for a specific emergency. We really had the infrastructure in place um, to address it as as um, it emerged, and as the pandemic um, dragged on and continues to drag on. Um, so, so in terms of our ability to adapt um, and make decisions, I think we were very prepared um, in terms of uh, in terms of the specifics. That is. Um, you know, first, first first stage of pandemic for us is a scramble to find personal protective equipment, right? It was, you know, where the hell are you going to get masks? Where are you going to get, where are you going to get uh, uh, the various supplies you need to, to make sure that this thing isn't spreading? Um, but again, those structures were in place that allowed us to be in a position to make uh, to make good decisions, um, informed decisions, and collaborative decisions. That's the other. That's the other piece of business here that I think is extraordinarily important and sometimes goes missing is that we are, um, we are, we are better as a community when we when we uh, talk to each other, when we communicate, and when we collaborate, and when we make decisions in uh, in a vacuum, um, those decisions aren't the best and and generally um, require us to go back to the drawing board and try again. So we had we had the we had the structures in place that allowed us to to deal with um, with the uh, small emergencies within the larger emergency, and I'm I'm proud of the work that we were able to do. Um, and, and proud of the work that we're continuing to do today. Um, we are in, in the city of Missoula and Missoula County. We're, we're experiencing, um, um, the, the most cases and the worst outcomes that we've experienced as a function of the entire pandemic. Um, but, but we're, in, in strange ways because of um, because of the work of the Montana legislature um, we are in a we're in a much weaker position to 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 manage um, to manage the pandemic at this point you know uh, closing in on two years later so 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 John let me ask you this we have the highest I think vaccination rate of any of the counties in the state over 70 percent and we have the worst 
number of, of new cases. What's going on? Well, we're a medical center for one thing, right? So mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's a huge factor, right? If you, if you are, if you are very sick with COVID-19, um, and you, and you live anywhere approximate to Missoula, you're going to be in Missoula. Um, and, and you're going to, and we're, we're going to get that data. We're going to get those cases and, and deal with them. Um, and as, as you both know, we're, we're in a bit of a, we're in a bit of a, uh, 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 we're, we're an island here, um, to a certain degree in terms of the politics of the pandemic. Um, we're a place that, um, that, you know, had mask mandates and, um, we had, we had, uh, facility closures and, uh, and, and those tools are gone for local governments today. Um, uh, and if I were to ask for a, if I if if I had the ability, if we had the ability as a county and a city to mandate masks today, um, I think the the pushback would be enormous, um, and uh, and the enforcement would be damn near impossible. Um, it's it, it's confounding to me. Um, we are we are a uh, we we ought to be in a position where we can look out for one another. And Missoula generally does that in so many ways, um, but but this has been this has been a a, a space where um, where where national uh, rhetoric has trickled down and had uh, had a pretty remarkable effect. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know shocking to me, and uh, you know as I travel to other places where. The mask mandate has made a difference. New York City. I spent the month of August in New York City. You couldn't eat at a at a fast food restaurant in the train station out in the open unless you showed a vaccination card. Yeah. You couldn't sit down and eat. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't ride on the subway without a mask. Right. I would say eighty percent of the people walking on the street, even on nice days, were wearing masks, and people felt that was. In New York, you don't always think of a city like that as a community, but they were concerned about protecting themselves and obviously protecting, you know, right. other people. Right. And then you go other places where it, you know, it's it's some kind of sign of rebellion of some sort, and uh, it's one that you know inadvertently can hurt lots of people that you don't even know. Yep. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's 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 really unfortunate. The pandemic has has exposed uh, some of our. Uh, our darkest and softest underbelly. Yeah, unfortunate. Let me, let me switch gears a little bit and talk about this issue of uh, homelessness. And, uh, you know, it ties into affordable space. It's one of your, uh, you know, one of your issues. Um, we, the city bought Sleepy Inn to try to deal with some of this issue. And what's the status of that at this point? Is it open, operating? Yeah. So we, so, so, uh, so early in the pandemic, recognizing that we would have, uh, unhoused folks, um, who would, who would, uh, likely require quarantine or isolation. Uh, we recognized that that was going to be a community need and we were going to need a facility in which to do that. So we acquired the sleepy in, uh, criticism at the time is we paid too much, um, didn't match appraisal, et cetera. Um, fact of the fact of the matter is that um, that uh, that we we 
we had to respond to the market and we had to respond pretty quickly. Um, and we, we made a thoughtful decision to acquire that facility over the course of time. Uh, you know, the last numbers I have gentlemen are a little bit, a little bit old and pre, um, pre Delta. Uh, but, uh, but that facility, uh, housed, uh, more than 400 people, um, over the course of the pandemic. These are people who, um, who either, uh, uh, were uh, exposed, actually, uh, and uh, in some cases exposed, um, or in some cases actually had the virus. Um, they would have been living on the street, um, and they would have been uh, they would have been spreading the virus further. Um, so we, we acquired the facility. Uh, the feds call it non congregate shelter, um, and under. Uh, FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency guidelines, um, we were able to be uh, reimbursed for expenses for operating that facility. So over the course of the pandemic, um, we were reimbursed by FEMA um, uh, north of uh, somewhere between $800,000 and a million bucks um, to, uh, to house people in that facility. Um, I think we uh, likely saved considerable human suffering in the form of uh, disease transmission. Um, and, uh, and, but for the Delta variant and this most recent surge, um, we would have, uh, we were actually in, in conversations with the developer to purchase the property, uh, scrape it and do, uh, do a, a housing project there. Um, and in fact, we had a, we had at least two developers who were interested in that. I think that, that ultimately will be where we end up when we get past, when we get past Delta and the surge, we no longer have a need for, uh, the facility. Um, we're going to, we're going to put it on the market. Um, I suspect that we'll get, uh, we'll get at least what we paid for it, if not more, given, um, what we're seeing in the real estate market today. Uh, and, um, and depending on the nature of the development, if it were a, um, if, if the developer were interested in, uh, doing some permanent affordable housing at that site, uh, we would likely, uh, participate, um, either through a discounted purchase or, um, or some other mechanism, um, uh, to, to, to ensure that affordability was, uh, perpetual. Um, but if it's a, if it's a market rate deal, it's a market rate deal. And I think, I think we, I think we sell it and, and, uh, and get more than we paid for it. Good. Then we can go to the home and guarding network and see John Angan's flip or flop show, government flip or flop. Right. Right. So, so, you know, housing and rent prices, according to your opponent, Jacob Elder, are ridiculously high and he blames that on a failed city government. That's one of his positions. How do you respond to that? Is it the city government's fault that there's high housing costs and, and uh, rental prices in Missoula? Well, Should the city be doing more? I mean, it, it's 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 interesting to me, um, in as much as the in as much as the the there's a great deal for which uh, there's a great deal over which uh, local government has very little control, but has significant accountability. Um, and, and housing is, housing is one of those areas. So, 
Um, we are like we are like every desirable city um, in in the Western United States. We're a we're a, we're a place that um, still has a sense of place. We're a place that's safe. Um, we're a place that's pretty. Um, we're of uh, we have we have uh, uh, community and cultural amenities that um, that make us a an attractive place to live and therefore people are people have discovered and will continue to discover um that they want to live here and that is that is what's driving price along with the the simple facts of of supply and demand um so great recession uh stops all but stops housing production in uh in missoula um uh, housing production begins to pick up uh, uh, pre-pandemic, um, but but we still had an inventory problem. We had both an inventory problem in terms of uh, rental property, and we had an inventory for single-family homes. Um, pandemic exacerbates that, uh, uh, and and low inventory and uh, high demand result in in increasing uh, costs, um, all of those are market factors. Um, what we can what we can do about those market factors um, is is uh, is I think where the rubber meets the road, as it were. So um, so housing costs and housing availability not new. This is a this is a, a slow emergency, something I've been talking about over the course of sixteen years and something we've been working at. Uh, the fact of the matter is, however, that um, that local government can only do so much with the resources that we have. And if you look around our community today at the at the affordable projects that are on the ground and um, and serving the community today, uh, very few of those exist without um, without some participation from the city of Missoula. Um, further, as we look forward, uh, we're, we'll have roughly a thousand affordable units uh, uh, open and available over the course of the next couple of years. Each of those is a product of uh, of the city of Missoula engaging in one way or another, uh, mostly financially, to support those projects. Um, and, and to suggest that, to suggest that we, um, we have been, uh, just sort of waiting for a crisis to happen and only now are responding, um, is just patently false. Uh, we created the first housing office in the state of Montana for a municipality. Uh, we, uh, we created the first affordable housing trust fund, all of this happening pre-election and pre-pandemic. Um, I do not run for office so that I can get elected. I run for office so that I can do the work. Um, and the, and the work either gets me elected or unelected, right? Um, so this is ongoing work. Uh, and, uh, the three things that we're engaged most heavily in today are, uh, policy reform. Um, we need, we need policies that match need on the ground today. Um, and that and and that we're addressing through code reform. 
Um, and this isn't my first, this isn't my first shot at code reform. Uh, early in my tenure as mayor, um, we, uh, we, uh, completely threw out our old zoning code, which in some cases was 70 years old, um, created a bunch of community tension, wasn't effective. Um, went through a painful two-year process to uh, to throw out what was called Title 19 in our municipal code and adopt Title 20, a new zoning code, um, but it wasn't enough. It was enough for the time, however, and it was about as far as we could go. Um, the politics over the course of the last 16 years have changed as well. Um, Pre-recession, uh, Missoula was a place um, that had a very active community of folks who uh, did not like growth or change. Um, and, uh, and every proposed uh, housing development uh, came with, uh, with considerable pushback from neighborhoods and advocates. Um, that has changed, I think, over the course of years. And I think folks are recognizing now that if we want, if we want our, our children and grandchildren to live in Missoula, um, and enjoy, uh, the community the way that we've been able to enjoy it, if we are, uh, if we're interested in having, uh, working families, the folks who are, um, who are uh, blowing out my sprinklers today, or the folks who are um, our servers in restaurants, our small businesses. If we want those folks to remain here, we're going to have to build new housing. And building new housing in a in a finite valley means that we're going to have to become more dense. We're going to have to use land more wisely. Um, so the code reform and policy that we're working through now. Um, will uh i think better reflect um our our goals around uh land use and density um take advantage of a, a existing infrastructure um and make it a little bit easier for folks who are in the business of building houses uh to do that uh the the second piece is we need to be staffed accordingly so in the in these first 10 months of uh of 2021, we've issued uh, more building permits than we issued uh, the entirety of 2020. Um, it's been a it's been a record-setting year for us, um, and we expect that to continue. But the process is still challenging, um, and we still need more staff, and we need reform around our regulatory processes. So one of the things that, that yeah, one of the things that I hear almost uniformly from developers in, in Missoula is that approval and the changes take forever. I know specifically of one development of, uh, of uh, housing, you know, townhome housing that's been waiting over a year for lot line change approval. That has to be at the core of what you need to be doing in order to, uh, you know, get done what needs to be done here. It, it is, and and we have we've we've taken uh, we've taken many steps in trying to improve those processes and timelines, um, and and we've been working very closely with the building industry to do that. Right, so I have a I have a monthly conversation with uh, with representatives of the building industry along with staff um, to identify those problems and and to work at solutions for those problems. Those meetings have been really collaborative and thoughtful, and in most cases where we've been able to make progress on an incremental basis, pardon me, and what we're pr proposing now is to do that on a wholesale basis, um, really 
further revamp um, our processes so that it is simpler um, and less time consuming. And and we admit all day long where we have challenges. Um, in some cases, we ask questions that we don't need the answers to. Um, they may have been appropriate at one time, but they're not appropriate today. So uh, Aaron Payhan, um, who is uh, leading that process, um, is incredibly responsive, as I hope I have been, to the building industry and in trying to address those issues. Um, and and we're getting better, depending on depending on who you talk to and what the what what jurisdiction they're dealing with. Some folks tell me that the development process in Missoula is way better than than what they've experienced in some jurisdictions. Others say we're way slower. Um, what, but, but I am committed to us being the best, um, at, at permitting while simultaneously continuing to protect that public safety, health and welfare that is part and parcel of <clears throat> my responsibilities and our responsibilities as a community. Yeah. And there are some developers that are like more proficient and have the expertise to navigate getting things done in a municipality like Missoula and others that don't. And so yeah. I think that, that's a challenge. I have a, you know, looking at national politics and state politics, you referred to us as an island, right? We know what's going on within the state. There's a, a forces that are kind of pushing against us, um, from the state on the state side. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that and, and kind of how you've been navigating that now a year in, um, into, you know, GN40 and, uh, the legislature, but also on the on the, uh, the Senate side as well. Yeah, so what we what we found is is um, particularly this legislative session, uh, there was a very active uh, and successful movement to limit uh, local government control. Um, that's that's um, fraught with irony um, because if you listen to the folks um, who had been proponents of. Uh, right. these measures to limit local control. Um, God, if the, if the feds ever tried to step on their toes, um, they'd scream bloody murder. Um, and so that irony isn't lost on me. Uh, so, and, and, and what we're left with, Scott, is really that navigation, right? How to, within, within the constraints of statute, um, how do we continue to be effective? Um, this legislature, uh, overruled the will of Missoula voters by repealing, uh, by repealing a two penny gas tax that, uh, that Missoula voters approved. They, the right. legislature undid an election. Um, and in doing so, uh, cost the city and the county something on the order of $600,000 a year that we were using to invest in, in roads, um, streets and roads, our transportation system. Um, and, and, uh, you know, un unless other folks are elected, um, and serving in that legislature, I think we can continue to expect more of the same. So we're, we will continue to be as agile as we can. Um, we'll continue to explain to, uh, the folks we serve that our ability to serve them has been hampered by, uh, folks in Helena. Um, and we'll soldier on and be as creative as we possibly can and, and good stewards of the resources that we do have. And it's ironic with a state legislature that is disproportionately balanced towards the eastern part of the state and rural uh, counties could have that kind of impact on a city that's experiencing growth. You almost think of it as a vendetta 
as well, a, a good public policy of any right. kind. And I, you know, and I, 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 I suffer still from um, from giving folks the benefit of the doubt, and um, and uh, and I, I would I would like to think that um, that it isn't something as petty as uh, some jealousy around what Missoula does and and the creativity and and the generally thriving nature of the community. Um, what, what I see is, what I see is, um, more than a Republican Democrat divide and urban rural divide. Um, and as an urban mayor, I have, uh, I have tremendous respect and appreciation for rural Montana. Um, we, Missoula isn't the place it is without, without our rural friends and neighbors. Um, but I want that street to go both ways. And I, I would, I would love for rural legislators to recognize that these urban centers, um, are, are, uh, as important to those folks as rural Montana is to the urban centers. And that, that gets lost. Sure. For our listeners, what was the rationale for overriding a local vote like that to add two cents? What was the rationale? Uh, it, I, I believe it was simply a, I think it was simply a, an anti-tax measure. Um, I think it was, um, I think it was, a, an effort to ensure that, I mean, we were the only county in the state that had, a, that had a local option, uh, gas tax that was approved by voters. And I think they didn't want any more, uh, municipalities or, or large counties to engage in that. Uh, because they they think it's harmful and and you know they they want services they want better roads they want good bridges they want good infrastructure um, but they there's no expectation that anybody pays for it my continuing lingering frustration uh, here in the state of Montana as somebody who was born here and has lived all of my life here is that um, is that we let uh, the the millions of visitors to our state um, enjoy everything that we have to offer, uh, and uh, and we don't we don't collect a nickel from them to support the infrastructure that allows all of those amenities to right. exist. They, sure, and they drive through. They drive through, but they don't. They don't. You know, well, they, we want to get that tax Right, they take advantage of everything here, and they're not—they're not proportionately taxed for what they do. Let's can I, let's. Do, I want to zoom out a little more because I'm a—I'm a national political junkie, as is Arnie. And so, when you think about what's going on in Washington right now, and you think about the Build Back Better and the infrastructure plan that Biden is trying to push get through, and he's got a lot of headwind. If that gets through, and when that gets through, how does that impact a municipality and a community like Missoula? And how closely are you kind of look, seeing that, looking at that stuff and saying, boy, I know if this goes through, this is, this is, these are the plus areas that's going to directly impact our community. And well, so, yeah, so, so if I, <clears throat> again, sort of taking, taking the broad and long view, um, the notion, and, it, and again, it so much depends on what, what survives the, the process, right? But, um, if I, if I look at, you know, we, we've been talking, we've been talking for the better part of two years. We've done, uh, we've done considerable research around, um, our ability as a community to fund, uh, uh, two year college 
tuition free for um, our residents. Uh, and, um, and, and, and thinking about the benefits of that to the community and to individuals. Um, if, if the, if the, uh, if the Biden plan survives and two-year college is a component of that, that is a, that's a huge benefit for this community. As we look at, as we look at pre-K, taking care of kiddos, um, very early in their lives where it matters the most, that is a huge impact on this community. Um, and something that we've been trying to achieve locally uh, that could be handled um, uh, uh, quickly and, and painfully and be funded through this federal program. Um, so I look at that, as I look at infrastructure, there are, um, there are a couple ways to think about it. ARPA, the beauty of both CARES and um, the American Rescue Plan is that um, is that municipalities receive direct allocations. So we got we got a, a share of CARES funds um, uh, through the um, that that came through the state and were allocated through the state under a different administration. But ARPA came to us as a as a um, direct allocation. So fourteen point two million dollars to the city of Missoula. Um, which is making a huge difference in terms of a, what I, what I need to charge residents in terms of property taxes. It's making a huge difference in terms of our pandemic response and what we're able to do around homelessness and housing. Um, those, those federal dollars when directly allocated to communities, um, get spent well, they get spent wisely, they get spent efficiently. Uh, the, you know, the infra, in, infrastructure money that went to the state of Montana went through, um, a political ringer. It's, they're still, the legislative committees dealing with it still aren't done. Um, and it's hard to know where that, that money is going to go. But when it lands on the ground here, um, we, we already know what our priorities are. We already know what, uh, needs to be done. We understand community values and where those resources ought to be spent. Um, and, and we're deploying that money, I think, really effectively. Uh, so my hope is that as a function of whatever uh, comes out of this massive legislation, which I think is absolutely necessary um, to the well-being of our country, uh, I hope that there is a direct allocation component of that because local local governments they're on the front line. We live with the consequences of our decisions. We know our we know our communities and. And um, we're we're in a great position to to put those resources to work. I want to flip back for just a minute to uh, the campaign again. Um, your opponent has uh, said that there's a uh, a growing crime rate in uh, in Missoula, and uh, we haven't been responsive to it. Uh, what's your What's your response to the, that charge? Uh, you, you know, I, I would, I actually haven't seen any specifics with regard to, um, to this growing crime rate. What, what I do know is that, um, is that we're working largely in the arena of violent crime, um, and doing everything we can, uh, around both, uh, both prevention, but also arrest and prosecution and investigation. And uh, I, I continue to believe that Missoula is a very safe place. 
Um, and certainly, uh, certainly as we look at other communities around the state, we're, we're as safe or safer. Um, we can always do better. Um, I added, uh, I added two police officers this year, uh, to our ranks. Um, and we invested, uh, uh, last year while the, while the drumbeat was defund police. Um, I, uh, increased the police department's budget by, uh, by a little better than, uh, half a million dollars to ensure that, um, that we were, uh, uh, adequately, uh, training our officers to deal with, uh, with the, the changing landscape. We've also adjusted our schedules. Um, you know, for many years, we, we have been operating on a schedule that, um, that was built around the 1980s. Um, and it was, uh, it was built to compensate for the fact that uh, people poured out of bars at two in the morning and raised hell on the weekends. Um, our calls for service, uh, the majority of our calls for service for the police department happened between uh, three in the afternoon and 10 in the evening on weekdays. And so we've revamped our schedule entirely to allow officers, we got more officers on the street during those peak times and fewer during non-peak times. Um, and that new schedule has also allowed us for, uh, allowed us to, uh, to create a, a training regimen, um, that allows every, uh, every officer to get a full day of, uh, intensive training, uh, in arenas ranging from, uh, de-escalation to crisis intervention, uh, uh, to use of force. Um, so we're adapting as we go. Uh, again, I haven't, I, I haven't seen a set of statistics that, um, that my opponent is relying on. Um, I also haven't seen the, the massive flight from the city that, uh, my opponent suggests is, uh, at play, um, we were at a, we were at a forum, uh, a Zoom forum a few weeks ago and, uh, to hear, to hear the des- description of the city, um, from that perspective, I didn't recognize it. Um, I don't see people fleeing the city. I don't see people not investing in the community. I don't see businesses running out or closing. Um, I, I in fact see the opposite. So in our last in our last minutes with you, um, you're running for an unprecedented fifth term. What do you say to the voters about uh, John Engen and uh, his ability to continue to serve the city for another term? Uh, I say that um, that I believe that uh, I have uh, a, a record that reflects uh, a, a person who. Um, is collaborative and thoughtful, um, able to make decisions, able to respond to uh, community needs, able to respond to emergencies, uh, and and is able to do so in a way that's effective and uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, is all about improving the community and the quality of life for the folks we serve. Um, I'm not tired. Um, I have fire in my ample belly to continue this work. Um, there are lots of things that I want to see through. Um, our housing policies and practices, I believe, will be 
Um, I, I believe that they will be models for other communities. I believe that, um, that the work we do with uh, public safety and first responders will be models for other communities. I believe that we're, um, we're engaging in, in uh, projects and collaborations that will, uh, that will uh, uh, be replicated over and over again in terms of uh, housing development. Um, uh, there is so much great work to be done and so many great people pulling in the same direction. Um, I have the relationships. I have, uh, I have the, the, uh, the, um, wisdom to know that I'm not the smartest person in the room. Um, I still have the capacity to listen and learn, and all of those things are incredibly important in moving this community forward. Thank you, John. Scott, any, any last words for John? No, I appreciate your, your coming on, Mayor Rankin. We always enjoy having you on. You know, it would not be an interview without you not talking about the university a little bit and the importance of the university in our community. We have a couple of minutes left. I know that you have a great partnership with the university. Can you give us a little, you know, glimpses to where we're going with that and, um, you know, admissions and enrollment hopefully going up? Yeah, well, we've, we've seen, we've seen some, we've seen some, uh, some good sort of leading early indicators with regard to enrollment. Um, and, and my hope is that, uh, my hope is that the bleeding has stopped. Um, we, we continue to be a, a great community, um, a great place to live and work. And I think, uh, and I think we ought to be very attractive to, to students. Um, I, I believe that, uh, President Bodner and his team, uh, continue to try to settle on, um, on, on having, uh, an integrated enrollment program. Um, they've been plagued with change in personnel. They've been plagued with, uh, a pandemic. I mean, you, you start to look at all the, all the obstacles in the way of success. And there have been many, and I think they're doing their best to overcome them. Um, and, uh, and, uh, we, we want to continue to collaborate in, in every way we can. Uh, fundamentally, I think the, the, we, we need to start thinking about the Montana University system as a system more than as a, um, as a, a grizzly and a bobcat and, um, and, and figure out better ways, um, really at the state level, uh, for the system to integrate so that there aren't winners and losers and there's not, uh, there's not competition that's not I, I think there's healthy competition, there's unhealthy competition. I think today we're suffering to a certain degree from un- unhealthy competition. Mm. I think there are ways that that um, there could be more collaboration. Uh, I can tell you that I am uh, I'm grateful most days to be the mayor of the city of Missoula and not a football coach or a university president <laughs> or a hospital administrator um, or a superintendent of schools. Uh, and so I, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little bit careful in, in, uh, in, uh, uh, entering an arena in which I am not, uh, in which I am not uh, fully equipped to be a gladiator. You know what you don't know. Um, how, how can folks learn more, uh, about your, if they want to donate to your campaign or they want to learn more about your platform? Is there a website? You know, so- 
It, it all it all lives uh, on a website called Engen for Missoula, and uh, and it's hard to miss if you type in Engen for Missoula. You may get some other stuff that you don't necessarily want to see, but <laughs> uh, but, uh, but th- that's where I am. We've got we've got lots of information there, um, and uh, and uh, I am you know continue to be open to conversations with the folks I serve and and hope to continue those conversations and hope to, pardon me, uh, be able to continue to serve the community. Absolutely. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your time. Thank you. As always, as always, Mayor, it's, 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 uh, it's always fun and and interesting and informative talking with you. Well, I was a little windy today. I apologize for that, but, um, okay. We got to get a lot of stuff covered and, and, uh, we did a pretty good job in, in the time we had. Well, there is there is so much. Um, it is, uh, it's it's um, it's an endlessly fascinating uh, job and an endlessly fascinating community. All right, Arnie, that was a, a lively conversation with Mayor John Angin. What do you think? You know, it's it's so hard be, to get into the the uh, the weeds of all of the issues. We there are several that we hadn't even get a chance to talk about because they are complex. There's no simple answer. You can't just, you know, bus homeless people somewhere else. You know, you can't just uh, put more police officers everywhere. I mean, the issues that face the city, you you just can't eliminate all rules and regulations. You can't put housing price controls on. You know, the last the last public official to advocate for price controls, interestingly enough, was uh, Richard Nixon. <laughs> it was one of his policies 50 years ago. Right. You know that would never fly with the Republican Party today, or most people. They don't want you know free market. We believe in a free market, you know. Except that when the prices get too high, you're looking for someone to try to intervene and do something about it. So it's a thankless job to some extent, and it was good to hear him balance, you know, his concern about being an administrator with his concern about the less fortunate, you know, and the homeless, and you know the the, the condition of the people in in in. Missoula, Montana. It'll be interesting to see how how uh, a political novice like uh, Jacob Elder, uh, you know, responds to those kinds of issues. Absolutely, and tune in next week, folks, to hear Jacob Elder speak with Arnie and I. Arnie, I'll see you next week. Take care, Scott. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know. I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. 